baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. And the season of Team 128 is over. Before we get to that, though, we have to apologize because we did a podcast. The audio was there. And it was an amazing podcast, by the way. (laughs) So this is podcast number two. Um, The audio decided not to show up whenever we uploaded it. Uh, video files corrupted, audio files corrupted, all the above corrupted. But here we are, Parker and I are doing the podcast now. So we apologize to our faithful listeners and we want to thank you guys for your patience. Uh, but it'll, we're doing it now again, uh, before we head to the Under Armour, um, practice here this afternoon on. December 31st, New Year's Eve. Happy New Year to everybody, for those listening as well. All right, so Oklahoma lost 35-32 in the last minute again this year for the fourth straight time they lost by a field goal in the last minute. That's four straight, Parker. Four straight. (laughs) How is that possible, by the way? Well, look, Brandon, it's it's nothing we haven't talked about before with this team. They just have an inability to win. And winning is a skill. Winning is an art. We've talked about this theme before with this team. When it comes down to it in crunch time, some players, some teams just have that clutch gene, right? They go and pull it out when it's time to go pull out a victory, when it's time to go make a play to secure a win. Some dudes, some teams just have the ability to go and do that. Did Mutual take it with them to USC? Well, the quarterback, certainly. Um, He had that. He had a knack for that. Uh, He did. But, look, what it boils down to is that this team just doesn't know how to win. They're 0-5 in one possession games this year. And... I think there is solace to be found in that because on the one hand, that by definition is not repeatable. Right? That That's an outlier. 
It will be an outlier. It will be an aberration. The Sooners will not go 0-5 in one possession games next year, and they will not win six games again next year. There's going to be regression to the mean for the better. I, I suppose that would be progression to the mean. So I don't worry about the issues that cropped up for this team rearing their ugly head again down the road as you get into year two, year three, and beyond of the Brent Venables era. But that said, this loss was very indicative of the type of team that Oklahoma has been over the course of the 2022 season. It was a loss that was on track with all that we knew about this team and just their general dynamic. I will say this. For the most part, they played a really good football game a better football game than many expected them to play. When was the last time we can legitimately say about an Oklahoma football team that they outperformed expectations for 60 minutes and still lost? Yeah. See, that's the weird part about it is the fact that they showed up and you and I were talking about that before the game. And we were like, man, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to think, what this team is going to do. We had heard rumblings of fighting before the in practices before the game. Like they were like intense practices where there was fighting, there was all sorts of stuff. And it was the young guys trying to prove their point. And there were people inside that inside the program that were telling, at least myself, um that the team was ready. The team was ready. The team was going to play. And I ended up picking Oklahoma to win 38-33. So that was the weird part about it. But I even told everybody, I said, the only reason why I picked them to win is because my kids said, Dad, pick them to win because I think they're going to win. And usually my oldest, for some odd reason, if he calls it, it happens. It's the weirdest thing in the world, by the way. And so he called it. He said, they're going to play really well, Dad. And they're going to – and they did. And he said, I just have a gut feeling they're going to play well. Usually he'll walk in and say, they're going to lose. And they do. They end up losing. And so I went with him. And still, I was shocked watching that game. I was like, who is this team? What is this defense? What is going on? Like, I God bless Danny Stutzman, by the way, because there were three or four plays on what day was that game? Was it Thursday night, right? Thursday night. Yeah, see, I'm so jumbled now. Like, it's so weird. Like, when we're gone away from home, we have no idea, like, calendars or anything like that. But so on Thursday night, Danny Stutzman made, like, four or five plays where I was like, holy crap. Like, who is this dude? Like, no, he's a good player, right? But you're seeing the maturation of a leader. And I'm at Universal Studios yesterday, Parker, with my kids. I'm waiting in line for the Hogwarts train to take us from one park to another. And or Haggard's train. I don't know what the crap it is. I'm not a Harry Potter guy. But um, I get a phone call from somebody. And they said that before the game, Danny Stutzman went off in the locker room. Just went off in the locker room. 
And they said, everybody shut up and listen. Because he's never done that before. And this person said they walked over and they were standing next to a couple of coaches and somebody turned to Brent Venables and said, this team's ready. They're going to win. And they said Brent Venables had this smile on his face and went in there and just gave the speech of a lifetime. And like they were ready. They believed they were going to beat the number 13 team in the country. A team that everybody thought – that. That was one of the hottest teams in college football, by the way, coming into this game with what they were doing. What is that? They won five straight now. Um, yeah, they hadn't lost since October 15th. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, Parker, you look at this game and we'll, we'll discuss the negatives, obviously, but we'll, you look at this game and you go, 2023 shouldn't be that bad. No, 2023 should be pretty good, especially if your backfield tandem yes. is everything that they were on Thursday night in that football game because, oh boy, Javante Barnes already had plenty of believers. He already had people buying up his stock. Mm-hmm. If there was anybody that made a statement on Thursday night, it was Gavin Sawchuck. Sooner Nation got introduced to that dude's skill set in a big way in the Cheez-It Bowl. 15 carries, 100 yards even, a touchdown, and another touchdown that was called back due to a penalty. And what really impressed me about Gavin, Brandon, and it's something that we talked about in preseason camp and I remarked on when he first, uh, or I guess when we first got the opportunity to watch some of the open practices in August, We knew Gavin Sawchuk had speed. We knew he was elusive. We knew he's a burner in the open field, right? What I did not count on from Sawchuk in year one is for him to be able to shed tackles the way that he did in that game against Florida State. Well, He was bouncing off dudes left and right. mm -hmm. No, he was, and... uh... That was one of the reasons why he was held out. And it, like people are mad. They're like, why? Well, now we got to see that now. Why wasn't he playing all year? Look how good this guy is. Look how fast he is. Look, at he can break. He breaks plays all the time. He breaks long runs. I think he had like three or four 15-yard runs. And he, the, the reasoning was, is what you just talked about, was they wanted to make sure that he was resi- ready physically. And that his family was behind that. That's the crazy part about it. Like his family understood it. They were in conversations with DeMarco Murray and everybody was behind that. They all were like, okay, this is how we're going to proceed with your son. And we want him to get a little stronger. We want him to get a little bigger. And he did. He, he matured physically he matured mentally inside the program, inside the weight room, inside the playbook, inside the scheme. And it all culminated to what everybody saw at the cheez Bowl, which was a welcome party to the college football world. And now everybody's going into next year going, yo, Oklahoma is loaded in that backfield. And that's that's the start number one. Now, what Oklahoma needs to do is they need to go get a couple of offensive linemen. They need to go get 
And we can talk about the offensive line here in a second, by the way, because you got to give it up to those dudes that came in and played. I mean, they struggled a little bit in pass pro, but they 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 were some road grading son of a guns that game, dude. But um, they got to go get some offensive line for some depth, for some uh, leadership. A little, I think. Um, you got to go get a couple of defensive linemen, maybe a corner, um, maybe a wide receiver too, and I think you're set as far as transfers go in your, your, your roster going into, and, and, and look, if you look at it, 45, 46 new players in 2022, 35, give or take one, two plus or minus um, in 2023. And now you're looking at 81 new players on the roster in two years. Now, granted, some of those guys of the 46 the previous year are gone, so you're probably looking at 65 of the 85 that are Venable's guys now. And that's how he's going to build the culture. And you could see some of the guys that left Parker, we hate to say it, right, but it's the truth. Some of the guys that left, some of the guys that decided not to play in the ball game. They weren't buying in completely. Yeah. And now you saw everybody that was left over were all the buy-ins, and you saw what happened when they played on the road against the number 13 team in the country, 10-win ball ball club, and they almost beat them. Like, the program's moving in the right direction. It doesn't seem that way, but it is. It 100% is. I don't think there's any question about that. And it's not sunshine pumping to acknowledge that either. It's not sunshine pumping to sit here and say, hey, regardless of the six and seven campaign, this thing is moving in the right direction. And there is going to be improvement one year to the next. And as Venable's culture continues to take root and as the proverbial puppies in this locker room morph into dogs, this program is going to start winning a lot of games. And there was so much good to take out of this football game on Thursday night, even if it did result in a loss. And it's weird to say that because that's not the standard at Oklahoma. We're not used to saying, well, they lost, but right. We're used to saying, Mm -hmm. well, they lost and here's all the reasons why. And here's how they didn't play up to expectations. And here's all the meat that they left on the bone. And they did not play perfect. On Thursday, Sawchuck had a very costly fumble. Zach Schmidt missed a field goal. There were penalties that came into play, especially on the offensive side of the ball that set them back, including the holding penalty on Savion Bird that wiped out the first of Gavin Sawchuck's two touchdown runs. We need to talk about him, by the way. (laughs) Um, So it was not a perfect game by any means for Oklahoma. But to think that they were that close Amidst all of it, being the underdog and a heavy underdog at that, a nine and a half point underdog in this football game, considering the fact that they were that close to winning and you take a few of those plays and you change the outcomes or you eliminate the penalties, Oklahoma maybe wins that game by double digits. It's really astonishing to think that in the grand scheme of things, as an underdog against a Florida State team that looked top to bottom 
more talented and more prepared for this game than the Sooners did, that they were able to turn in the performance that they did and exceed expectations, exceed our expectations, exceed everyone's expectations for the most part. No, I, hey, here's the deal is the expectations going into that game. <laughs> um, hold on for dear life, right? Like that's, that's what it was is don't get blown out. Stay within the odds nine and a half, right? Like that's what everybody was hoping. Like fingers crossed. This is a good game going through the third quarter, right? I I I want to give it up to the offensive line because you have a uh, the second they lost Jake sucks Jake Sexton. I think the proverbial nauseousness and the pity of your stomach just kind of happened for everybody that understood how important he was to that offensive line at that point in time. And then there comes Aaron Parts trotting out there. And I know you and I talked about it after the game. We were like, we both at that point were going, oh, no, this is not good. And God bless Jake because he got injured in pregame. And it, it was bad, folks. It's not good. Or just put it like that. Like, it's not good. And... And we knew that, like, right after the game, too, by the way, that it wasn't very good just from what, who we talked to and what we were told. But that dude is tough. He had no business even being out there after kickoff. You know what I mean? And he tried. He tried so hard to play and thought maybe because he's so tough, he could. When your body tells you no, your body tells you no. And now now he's going to have to get ready for next year. Um, and he has a chance to be special, a special offensive tackle for Oklahoma before it's all said and done. But he needs to focus on getting healed up first. Um, but Aaron Parks, uh, he got whooped at pass pro some. He got whooped, bro pass rush. I mean, they, they kind of abused him a little bit at times. But he did okay. Like, he did okay for a third string offensive tackle that had, was not even thinking he was going to play. Sitting there thinking, I'm not even going to play today, dude. Like, go get it, Jake. Go get it. You know, Guyton, like, let's, I'm going to watch you over here. <laughs> and play two, he's out there. For the rest of the game. <laughs> so it, it it was um that 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 was about the time I thought, well, this isn't gonna be very good. And then Oklahoma makes that drive and you're going Okay. This is interesting. And then the rest is history. Like we watched one of the most epic games. Like that game was amazing to watch. It was fun, it was entertaining. It was nerve-wracking even from our perspective just because – look, I want people to understand this. Like, we don't cheer, but Parker and I are businessmen. Like, 
our business is Oklahoma doing well. And when they do well, our business does well. So from that perspective, we love when Oklahoma does well, right? Like that's, 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 that's obvious. Um, and I don't know, man, like, I think at the end of the day, I just walked away from that game and I was like, there was a lot of bad, but there was a lot of good. There was a lot of good that we saw and things that we didn't see. I think the toughness of the team was something that is just, I don't know about you, Parker, but did you think that the, that was the toughest we've seen them play in yes. months? Yes, all year, all year. I would say outside of the Nebraska game, I would think. No, I would say even more so than Nebraska game, um, especially given the circumstances. Being in a hostile environment where you're the underdog, and that building's full of Florida State fans, and really, like it, you can make the argument that you didn't have that much to play for. Sure, you had a trophy full of cheese its to play for, but by the Oklahoma standard, that's not a whole heck of a lot, right? And so for them to come out and perform the way they did, and fight the way they did was impressive and there were some really really strong individual performances and that wasn't limited to Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk right Dylan Gabriel had himself a nice game all things considered he was under duress quite a bit but uh 14 for 24 mm-hmm. through that touchdown pass to Jalil Farouk ran for a touchdown himself Yep. Uh, on the ground. And then defensively, I thought Billy Bowman dove over guys for that, yes. by the way, like threw his body around. I thought Billy Bowman had an outstanding game highlighted, yeah. of course, by that interception. The play that nobody will remember from that game that I thought was even more impressive than the interception was Fourth and six. Third and six from the 11 yard line. Florida State has the ball, minute 20 left in the game. It's a tie game. Oklahoma has no timeout, or they got one timeout left. Florida State converts that first down. They're just going to run the clock down and kick a chip shot field goal. And this play didn't end up affecting the outcome of the game because Florida State just kicked the field goal anyway and held Oklahoma on their final drive. But Ethan Downs sets the edge. Billy Bowman shoots the gap, meets the runner in the in the running lane, stops it. Like he, he, he you watch the play over. He looks like a heat-seeking missile. Yeah. It's just very impressive pursuit straight downhill to the ball carrier stops him in his tracks. Brent Venables gets the timeout in with a minute left and it gives the Sooners a shot, which is really all you can ask for at that point in time. And again, they didn't end up cashing it in, but it's a play like that that really stands out to me more so than the ones that everybody will remember, like the interception, not to take anything away from the interception, because that was another fantastic play, but I think that play on third and six with time running out in the football game uh, was the crowning achievement of Billy Bowman's evening. In my mind, Danny Stutzman played really well. CJ Colden made a couple of nice coverage plays. Um, I'm trying to think who else, who else was good defensively. Um, I mean, I thought Jeffrey Johnson was pretty good defensively against the run. Um, I thought Marcus Stripling got back there a little bit. I think the, the, the biggest concern if you're Oklahoma 
continues to be the the pass rush. I think it has to be. Um, and I'm sorry if you all hear crap. People next door like have a kid yelling and screaming. I don't know if you all can hear it, but um, yeah, I think he. I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel bad for Justin Broyles. You know, because that play, there's nothing he could have done. No, no, and it's it, unfortunate. Just, I mean, it, if he there, if he was bigger, obviously, yeah, he could have made a play on that. But he's five eleven. You know, he is what he is. His career is now over at Oklahoma, and everybody that dogs on him, man, it just kind of bothers me. Like I, everybody holds a grudge against him for. The Peach Bowl still in 2019, like it was his fault that he went up against the two best. He wasn't even supposed to be out there, by the way. DTY broke his collarbone. So that's number one. Number two, he did the best he could against two of the best wide receivers in college football history. Literally. And two of the best wide receivers in the NFL, like right now. One could argue... One could argue the two best wide receivers in the NFL right now. Right? So, I mean, like, it's almost like, what the hell, man? Give the guy a break. He played, he broke up a pass on a big third down that led to the Billy Bowman um, interception. Um, He had a couple other plays where he broke up passes, too. He broke up a pass across the middle. Uh, where and he, he broke up a deep post where one of their bigger receivers had it, and he came in and swatted it down as he was trying to get – like he made plays, makes plays, but all anybody is going to remember is the Peach Bowl and that play against Florida State for his whole career. They're not going to remember the uh, bowl game last year against Oregon where he had a big pick on a third down that turned the tide of the whole ball game and moved it in Oklahoma's favor, and Oklahoma basically dominated at that point. Um, There's a lot of things that he did for Oklahoma, one being a good leader. He just – he was – he had his physical deficiencies, and everybody knows that. But nobody can ever question his heart. Nobody can ever question his love for the university. And people that bash him, Parker – they're wrong. Not because they're bashing him. I, I get I. You get the reasons that they say what they say, but there's more to him than that, and that's what people have got to understand. Because you know they're novice fans, the ones that are bashing him. The people that are diehards and understand who JB is. There's a reason why you me. The scoop guys, everybody comes to his defense, right? Like we all come to his, every media member will always come and every coach will always come to his defense, right? Because of what he represents, you cheer for that. And that hurt to watch happen because it was like, he played so well that game. And then that happened. 
and everybody and you knew you and i but was that your first thought was like yeah well because i you know oh geez it had to be him right in that moment it looked like florida state was gonna run the clock down and kick a field goal with no time left and so i it didn't look like for a minute there that there was going to be any hope of oklahoma getting a chance to go and tie that game up and so my first thought was man it's unfortunate that the last play justin Burles is ever involved in at the university of oklahoma has to be that one guy was six seven yeah and an athletic six seven at that yeah like i was sitting next to chris knee florida state and he the florida state reporter for 24 7 sports and uh gonos.com and he he turned to me he goes that guy could be so good but he's so inconsistent like he could be an all pro but he's so inconsistent but he made a damn good play there man one-handed catch outside shoulder Travis put it as good as you could possibly put that ball. Like that play was just perfection all the way around for them. There's nothing JB could do. And he was in perfect position too. Perfect position. Oh man. Um, Let me ask you this. Um, Flipping back over to the offensive side of the ball. We've seen some pretty dynamic backfield tandems over the last few years at the University of Oklahoma. And you want to go back decades, right? It's been the case since the 70s, perhaps even earlier than that. Regularly over the course of the years, Oklahoma has had at least two individuals that they can confidently hand the ball to and expect elite production out of. Now, in recent years, you've had tandems like Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, right? Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon, Ramondre Stevenson and Kennedy Brooks. Um, There have been, I believe, four or five occasions over the last decade where not one but two Sooners has rushed for over a thousand yards in a single season. Mm-hmm. You think we see that again next year yeah, with Javante oh, yeah. Barnes oh, yeah. and Sawchuck? Yes, 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 yes. You and I both have already talked about this off the air. <laughs> yes. We both are like, yep, hundred thousand they're they're gonna have a thousand yards next next year, both of them. Rep. And I think I, I was talking to another person that's a pretty uh big personality uh in the on the Sooner Beat after the game and we were we were uh sitting there talking and I think he and I both said the same thing. Like if both of them have a thousand yards next year, that's not going to shock anybody because that's what Lebby's done other places is he's had running backs that have just gone off. Right. Like that's what they do. And Eric Gray went off this year. Um, If Eric Gray, and I think that's where you're going to see the difference is, is these two guys, much like P Ryan and Mixon and Anderson and, uh, Trey Sermon, they had the ability to break the long run. Both of these guys have the ability to break the long run, and that's where you're going to see the 2,000 yard rushers because they're not going to get caught after 45 yards, 50, 60 yards. It's going to be 88 and out the gate by when they hit when they hit that second, third level, and they're not going to get caught from behind. And that's going to be the difference, and that is the difference between it, it, it honestly I, I hate to say this but there's been big plays that Eric Gray's had that's put Oklahoma in scoring position 
that if he was just a step faster, a step house housed it and Oklahoma wins the ball game because he housed it. They're not kicking a field goal or missing a field goal or a penalty that pushed him back where they have to punt. You know what I mean? Like he's scoring. And that that's the difference. And that's also the difference between him being a fourth round pick and a second round pick with who he is as a player is his speed. He is what he is. He is not that fast. He's Emmett Smith, but a step slower than Emmett Smith. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can make a good NFL career out of that, obviously. But as good as he is, and this is weird to say, Parker. This is weird because the dude, had, what do he have, like 1,400 yards this year? Something like that? 1,300? Like, what was Eric Gray's stats? He was or, upwards of 1,300 yards. Yes. Yeah, like he had an insane year, right? Like, amazing year. He averaged over 100 yards a game. And I think both of these guys are better. I do. I do. I, I, am I crazy? Am I crazy? No, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you're crazy. Um, we know what Javante Barnes is. We've seen it. And long before he ever hit the field in Oklahoma uniform for the first time, uh, you could see it on tape. You heard it from folks inside the Switzer center. That dude was going to be special. And he had a pretty dang good true freshman year. There were very few true freshman running backs across the country that contributed more, at least in a tangible sense, than Javante Barnes did. And you pair him with Gavin Sawchuck, people have been trying to come up with a name for that duo on social media for the last 48 hours now. And it's going to be a fun deal, man, because... You have a guy in Barnes uh, that his, and he he packs a punch as a runner. He's got some power and plenty of speed in his own right. He's not the burner that Sawchuck is, but I think you got two guys that are complete backs in their own right. Their specific areas of specialness, if you will, are somewhat different, though. Mm-hmm. Barnes is a guy that'll lower the shoulder and go over you. Sawchuck's a guy that'll just hit the edge and boom. Yep. And I mean, it's over. They they're gonna be P. Ryan Mixon, I think. Like I have that funny feeling that's what the and obviously Barnes is more elusive than p ryan probably i think a little bit more um yes and i don't i don't know elusive may be the wrong word but he's got a little bit more get up in his in his caboose if that makes sense than than p ryan has yeah and Sawchuck isn't as big as mixon so you know, there's another young guy that got a lot of run offensively on thursday night that i have high expectations no, 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 Nick Anderson. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm i real high on Nick Anderson going into 20. No, no, yeah, you are. Yeah. You're, you're, no, you're that's... the president of the fan club of that guy. <laughs> you are. I feel like he can he can do as a sophomore what Jalil Farouk just did as a sophomore, mm-hmm. which is 500 yards, handful of touchdowns. 
can be a key cog in this offense. And maybe he doesn't start every game the way Farouk did. I don't know if there's room for him to, especially if Marvin Mims comes back. But he's going to see a lot of snaps. They're going to get the ball in his hands, and he's going to make an impact. And between him and Jaden Gibson and and bringing in Jaquez Petaway and Keon Brown, I don't think you got to worry about the wide receiver position in Oklahoma. No, I I I agree, and I think it, speaking, of, we have to talk about this, Marvin Mims, dude. He made a couple of catches that was like, holy sh- man, <laughs> good God, he's good. That one where on the third and long, where he goes up over on the sideline and drags his one foot in as he's getting just pummeled out of bounds. He did it twice actually, because he did it later on in the fourth quarter. As well, before he hurt his hip with about 10 minutes left, right? I think it was. Um, but earlier in the first half, he did it as well on a third and long. They just throw a fade route, and he goes up over top, puts Oklahoma inside the 20-yard line. They go down. Well, they actually didn't go down and score because – did they? No. Did they go down and score that drive, or is that the drive? Because I'm trying to – there's two drives. I'm trying to remember. I don't have my notes in front of me here because we – I, we woke up early so we could do this before uh, Under Armour All-American practice, folks, to try to get this to you guys. But there was a one where Sawchuck had a big run. And then yeah, I think he it was either he scored – Sawchuck scored on that and it got called back on the Mims drive or was it the Sawchuck big run drive? I can't remember, man. Yeah, they're, nor they're all I. running together. Uh, but – Mims makes a difference, obviously. He's one of the best receivers in college football. In the game he had, he was unbelievable, by the way, on Thursday night. I don't know that he returns, man. Like, I'm not, I, I felt like he was a couple of days ago. Even after the game, I was like, yeah, I think he returns. I don't know that he does now. Talking to people yesterday, I'm kind of leery now. Like, because I don't think OU knows what he's going to do at this point. And that's kind of scary. People think that he played because he's a good kid. And he wants to do the right thing. And he wants to leave Oklahoma on a good note. And feel like he gave it his all for the university that he loves. And some people believe he's going to stick around. It all depends on who you talk to. I I don't know, man. Because I found it interesting that after he bumped his hip up a little bit, he came back in and played on that two-point conversion, right? On that same drive. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't bring him back in for a long time until, like, they needed him on that final drive. And he was only in there for, like, a play. It was, like, on a big third down. And they pulled him back out. Like, why do that? Unless they're trying to keep him from getting injured more to go pro. Because it was the final game. He had all offseason to heal if he's staying at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You see my, see my thinking on that? Yeah, I do. And... <clears throat> It's been a weird few weeks in that regard because there was a time where it was like, okay, he's definitely coming back. Uh, 
Yeah. And then for a few days there was, oh, he's definitely leaving. And then it swung back the other direction. Oh, he it looks like he's coming back. Um, I still think he does come back. I just think he's he's too smart not to. And I think he gets it. I think he gets where his draft stock is right now and how much it can improve if he comes back and posts another thousand yard season. But he's going to get drafted one way or another, whether it's this year or next. He's going to get drafted. He's a top 60 pick, according to the draft network's mock draft. Him and Anton Harrison are both top 60 picks. That's kind of scary, man, if you're an Oklahoma fan, because even myself, selfishly, just because I've known Marvin for since he was a sophomore, I think, in high school, and I've known him really well, like, that's my guy. (laughs) And I don't want to see him go. That's selfishly. I, I think that's one thing in our business people tend to forget how much of a relationship that we build with these guys covering them as high school kids and their families. Like, I think there's one person everybody knows that like to this day, he plays for another team. Now he may or may not have a Heisman trophy. Um, and everybody kind of knows my relationship there and still to this day, like super, super close. And that's the hardest thing about our industry. I know this is like off topic a little bit, because you probably agree with me on this, like, and you watch these guys just go off. Like, Joe Mixon and I still talk. Um, trying to think, man. I mean, I guess there's several guys that I still talk to that are in the league. But, like, I'm sure the same for you. Like, I mean, like, you see them, they go off. and But you don't see them every week like we normally do. And, like... You know, how's your family? You know, blah, blah. It's like just random conversations after that, or they'll text you Merry Christmas and check in on you, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it gets weird, you know, after they leave because you don't see them all the time. And it's just different. And you love watching them play every week. Like I think that's the coolest thing about it. You've watched them play from the time they're a sophomore in high school or junior in high school all the way till they're a junior in college. And then they're you have to watch them on television after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it, it gets it it's a little different. Um so selfishly, I want to see Marvin Mims play more at Oklahoma. How about you? I think it serves Marvin Mims well to play another year at Oklahoma. I know, that's, but selfishly that's... for you, what do you what do you feel yeah, like? I mean I mean, look, selfishly, yes, everybody wants to see Marvin Mims back in an Oklahoma uniform another year. And look, yeah. I I, I, it's not something that I guess what's a what's a good parallel? I'll, I'll use Delarian Turner Yell as a great example. Yeah, he you and guys I, he, were super close. Yeah, yeah, he and I are very close, and I really wanted to see him come back and play one final year yeah, you did. in an OU I uniform. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I thought, man, you know what? If he were to come back and play a fifth year, he could monumentally improve his draft stock maybe be a day two pick and have the opportunity to make more money in the league than he would otherwise. But uh, DT wise, mind was pretty made up. He decided, you know what? I've accomplished just about all I can accomplish at Oklahoma. I'm going to take my chances in the NFL. 
and he goes and runs like a four four nine at the combine or something like that. Uh, ends up, I believe, a fifth round selection mm-hmm. makes the Broncos fifty three man roster. And so, look, had a decent season it, too. Yeah, I don't think he played this season. No, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, Benito, Benito, Benito. Yeah, I don't think DTY right. has played yet. Uh, well, for no, a variety no, no. DTY has played because I, I, I'm almost positive he called the he caused a fumble in one of the games. It was preseason. Was that preseason? Okay. Yeah. So See, and I watched the Broncos regardless, all the time. it all runs it, together to me. Yeah, Marvin Mims is the type of guy that can bet on himself and it'll pay off. But yeah. I think for a lot of Sooner fans out there, what they're going to look at with regard to the Mims situation is say, a, obviously we all want him to come back. And we want him to wear the crimson and cream another year and be the lead receiver in this offense. And it's going to be good for the bottom line offensively for Oklahoma. But also. He has uh, played, by the way, this year. He has? Yes, he has played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. He has a total of seven tackles. There you go. Okay. Awesome. Okay, go ahead. That's good. I knew. So when I. Yeah, he came back in town for the Baylor game, and I don't think he had played yet, which would have been. No, by that time he didn't. He played October. His first game was October, or he played September 18th and made a tackle. He did not play again until October 30th for Jacksonville. So you are correct. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I just think if you're looking at this through the lens of a fan, right? Somebody with a vested interest in Sooner football, a, you want to see Marvin Mims come back because he's going to help Oklahoma's offense Mm -hmm. in a big way, but also because there's a good opportunity for him to, uh, you you see what CD lamb's doing in the NFL, for instance, I'm not saying Marvin Mims is going to be CD lamb because there's only one of those dudes. (laughs) He is one of a kind, but if you want to see Marvin Mims put himself in a position where he has the opportunity to make the type of impact that CD has had with the Cowboys, it's certainly not going to hurt if he's say a second round draft selection come 2023 versus a fifth round selection in or after the conclusion of the 2022 season, because there's naturally going to be a bit more investment in a second round selection and a bit more of an intentional effort to get them involved in an NFL offense than there would be for a fifth round selection. You're just another, if you're just a fifth round guy, if you're just another name at wide receiver, then you got to fight tooth and nail for everything. But if you're an early round selection in the NFL, the administration, the staff in all likelihood is going to be more deliberate and more intentional about creating opportunities for you to succeed. Yep. I'm with you 100%. 100%. And that's been my biggest thing. Um, I've talked to... I talked to Marvin a little bit about that. Um, But I wouldn't... I don't like, you know, like... I think people assume because of our relationship with them and uh, that we cover them that we give kids our input. Nah, I stay out of that. I think the one person I did, and I think they would tell you this, 
was the Williams family. I, I, they, I, before they left, I think, because we all know CW wanted to stay, but you know, there's other things that happened and all that. And I'm never going to get into that until I retire, but cause I could write a book on that. And I think I want to, I think that's something you and I will probably end up doing as we get a little older is writing a book on just stories. I think, cause I think it'd be a great seller to be honest. Uh, but I'll put it to you like this, like, I told them how I felt about how they handled things in certain situations. And we'd gotten arguments, but we we were so close at that point and still are that. And I think I took a ribbing from OU fans for it. And I've never said this publicly. I'll say it now. I was on y'all's side. <laughs> Parker can vouch. I stood up to them and said what I said to them. I'll never divulge it for a long time, but I, I stood up and told them, Hey, you know, you're not doing, you need to stay. You're not doing this right. This is not the right thing to do. And we argued for a while, but you can't change people's minds. And I think Jalen Redman is another one that <clears throat> I've known for a long time. And I know people I'm close to a lot of people in his circle. Really close. And I don't never thought he should have left. Never thought he should have left. And told him that. Literally had the conversation after Bedlam on the field. Because he came up to talk to me. And he asked me what I thought he should do. And I told him, <laughs> you shouldn't go. You're, you're, you're making a bad decision if you go. And ultimately, he made it for himself. And that's what – but you have to respect that, right? Like it's their decision, not ours. It's just – it's the same thing with the Peyton Bowen thing, which we'll talk about on another podcast. We're going to do a separate recruiting podcast that's going to cover the All-American Games and the Peyton Bowen saga and all that type of stuff. So we're going to have another one for you recruit Knicks that want to hear that. But Parker, like – I, you can't tell these people like it's their lives. It's the same thing. Recruiting is the same thing going pro. It's their lives. They're going to live their life. You can say, Hey, if they ask you, which I was asked, I tell, no, I don't think you should go. I think you will benefit playing for coach Bates again, you know, but I don't know, man. Like, I, I selfishly, I would love Marvin Mims to, to stay. Yeah, he's never asked me that, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to either. So, but he did. I, I will say this: like to his leaving for Florida, um, yeah, or what? Excuse me, not leaving for Florida, but when OU was playing Florida in basketball, I was walking with my son, and he like grabs me as we're walking up the the steps last year. You remember that game? The yeah, SEC yeah. battle. And this was like right before um I get that Venable's been announced yet or was yes. it right before Venable? Okay. So BV just got announced. Uh, Lebby just got announced as well, I believe at that point, like a couple of days before. And he walked over to me and he goes, 
like just told me straight up. He's like, dude, if the other staff stayed, I was out. I was out. Like Chris Hummer reported that, right? And he took so much flack for that because nobody believed that Mims was leaving. And he was leaving. Straight up leaving. And he decided to stay because the new staff was going to focus on him and him alone in as far as receivers go. And Mims had a hundred a thousand eighty three yards, six touchdowns, and you know what he averaged this year per catch? Offhand, no, I don't. Like if you had to guess, what would you think? Probably about twenty yards a catch. Exactly twenty yards a catch. Wow. Good job, Parker. Last yeah. year he averaged and here's the funny thing is is the year before he averaged twenty two yards a catch. But I think the difference is let me go back to his stats real fast. I had to pull it up. The difference is yardage in yeah, he had twenty twenty two more receptions this year for three hundred and seventy seven more yards. But he averaged twenty two yards a catch in twenty twenty one. So anyways. All right, uh, before we go, before we get off here real quick, when you look at next year's season, where where do you see Oklahoma's strengths? What freshmen or young guys transfers make the biggest difference for Oklahoma? As And we're sitting here on December 31st. So lots are going to change. So this is something we got to preface that with. But we're going to pull out our crystal balls real quick. And we know that you've got big crystal balls, Parker, as usual. Um, everybody likes when you whip out your balls, your crystal balls on 24-7 sports. But what transfers make the biggest difference? What who, what positions do you see as the biggest strengths? And what is your expectations for the 2023 and team 129? Yeah, I certainly think the backfield is a strength offensively. I think the backfield is a strength defensively. When you look at the secondary, there's going to be so much depth at the safety position in particular, especially now with Reggie Pearson in the fold. You add to that an outstanding crop of freshmen highlighted by Peyton Bowen and Dave McCullough. Uh, Kendall Dolby is a guy that wherever he ends up in the secondary is going to have the opportunity to contribute right off the bat. And then you bring back Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman and Robert Spears Jennings. Man, I'm excited about the safety room. Um, I think the weakness right now is certainly defensive line. That is a position group that needs to get shored up in the transfer portal. There needs to be some answers found there. And I trust that the Oklahoma staff will find answers. If there's one group that you're almost okay with it being the weakness. It's the defensive line because that's how much trust I think there is in Brent Venables and Todd Bates uh, to get that situation under control. Uh, And as far as freshmen who make an impact, I'll be honest. If, if this team is what I expect them to be in 2023, I don't think there are any true freshmen that have a huge day one impact. No guys that, you know um 
No guys that are Billy Bowman in 2021, for instance, starting from the get-go. Um, I do think that Caden Green's a guy that's in the two deep right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I think P.J. Adabare is going to be difficult to keep off the field for very long just because he's a free – I mean, it, it's so funny, Brandon, because I showed up about 15 minutes late to the first Under Armour All-American game practice last night, and I'm walking in, and everybody's hitting me on the shoulder like – because a lot of people are seeing PJ for the first time this weekend. Yeah. Everybody's coming up to me going, dude, PJ looks crazy good. <laughs> like, yep, that's PJ. He of the 85 inch wingspan who yep. runs like a safety at six foot four, 240. Yes, he does look good. Isn't his so, brother going to be a first round pick? Uh, probably not a first round pick. I think, PJ, I think PJ told me his draft grade was rounds three through six. Uh, he is going to open some eyes in the combine performance, though. Mm-hmm. So I would expect him to be off the board in day two. I would fully expect him to be off the board in day two. Um, PJ's older brother plays at Northwestern, by the way, for those unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Very, very talented defensive lineman. Oh. Not not nearly as tall as PJ is, but, <clears throat> but he is just career. as athletic, yeah, just as strong. 280 pounds and is going to run in the neighborhood of a 4'6" from what PJ told me. Um, so I, that's not, that's not human, dude. <laughs> that family's got some crazy genetics, bro. <laughs> the Atabares are freakishly athletic. He's so too, but you went just like, he's going to run like, but it was how you went through it. Like it was like, you didn't have any like influxion or anything. It was just like, yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, that's them. 280 pounds for six. That's them, no big man. deal. That is no that family. <laughs> the athletic genes are. He's ridiculous. a receiver at 280 pounds. <laughs> Sheesh. Um, so, yeah, Caden Green and PJ Atabari are two guys uh, that I think are in the two deep next year. I can see Dalen Smothers maybe getting a little bit of run as the third back, like Ramondre Stevenson was in 2019, uh, if he can step up and challenge Marcus Major for that role. Uh, and then I think there are some guys that w- will certainly have a say in the special teams area of things. Jacoby Johnson, Jaquay's Petaway, Peyton Bowen. Uh, Peyton Bowen, certainly. Uh, even already, somebody already, like, already got informed that he will be um, in the kickoff and punt return rotation next year, 100 percent. Good. And you know, you know, you know, my source is pretty good on that. So yes, yes. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, but even like even guys like uh, Samuel Masigo and Cade McIntyre, I would expect to get some run on special teams. Hmm. So there's gonna be there's gonna be a lane for some of these freshmen to contribute. I just don't know that anybody jumps out right off the bat and has a yeah. productive explosion in year one. Yeah, I guess for me, okay, your expectation, though, for next year, like what is your expectations for the team? I think they push for 10 wins. I think they're right. we meet it this time, folks. We said it last year, but we meet it this time. (laughs) No, I think – so I think they probably – they head into bowl season. Nine and three? Uh yeah, nine and three. I'll say they head into bowl season nine and three. You win the bowl game. That's ten wins. I'll say they're where Florida State was this past year. And if that's the case, if that's where you if that's where you end up at the conclusion of the twenty twenty three campaign, you take it. 
feel pretty good about it. You take it after this year. I think if they 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 win three more games than they did last this season next year, I think Oklahoma fans will go. Venables is the right guy. He's moving this thing the right direction. Muleshoe kind of took it. Like I mean, again, I said it earlier in the podcast when we were talking about the Williams family situation and all that. Um, they that that hurt Oklahoma. Oh my gosh, did that hurt Oklahoma? And they did the best they could, and they went and got Dylan. Because at that point, everybody had already announced where they were going, right? And had already enrolled, had already shown up and taken classes. They did what they could. They had to do that. They had to. There was nothing more they could have done. And it, Oklahoma was putting a, a really predicament, a predicament that they put themselves in, along with the Williams family, but. It was a bad predicament nonetheless, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, for me next year, I do they I I'm with you. I don't know that a lot of these guys start because that 2022 class was so good as far as like contributors go for this year that it's going to be hard to overtake those or overthrow them position wise right like even with cj colden leaving okay i'll say this never mind i will say this if there's one guy people are gonna be shocked by what i'm about to say if there's one guy that will start this year it will be kendall dolby at corner and i would agree it'll be kendall dolby at corner and there is a lot of people inside that switcher center that have seen some really good corners come through Oklahoma because they've been around for that long and maybe have come back. And this may be something I've heard that the head coach has said. Okay. They think Kendall Dolby has a chance to be the next Derek Strait. Yeah, that's some high saw, praise right there, Brandon. That, that, that's that some high silent. praise. If you're watching the YouTube, you see my face because that is like, and I just got silent for a reason because I want everybody to be able to, I guess, think about what I just said and process it because, geez, Parker, like when I heard that the first time, I was like, what? You guys realize he won the Thorpe and Nagurski award, right? For best defensive player in college football. And like, yeah, no, he's that good. What? Okay. 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 And you know what? I believe it because I think if you look at the evals that Oklahoma's done and who they've brought in already, R. Mason Thomas, Grayson Holtum, um, CJ Holden. Uh, trying to think who are who are some of the other guys that they brought brought in on the defense that have been pretty good evals. Uh, Jonah Laulu, like they they were good evals, right? They were they're good players. Contributed. I trust them. I trust their eyes and everything that BV's done in previously that we know of. He knows what a good defensive back looks like. And they have high hopes for him. I think it's going to be hard to push out Gentry Williams, though, 
I don't know that anybody starts but him day one because they think he is going to be a certifiable superstar. So at some point in time, your defensive backfield next year will be Gentry Williams or Kendall Dolby, Woody Washington. Those are your corners, right? Yep. Your cheetah is Dason McCullough. My eyes are lighting up right now for you all that can't see it. Like processing what we just said. We just named three guys, four guys that have all Big 12 potential. Four guys right off the bat. And we haven't even got to the safeties yet, who are all Big 12 guys. And Reggie Pearson Jr. and Billy Bowman. <laughs> so, and then you have Peyton Bowen backing him up. Uh Robert Spears Jennings, who everybody thinks is going to be a superstar. Um, and as you said on the last podcast, Parker, and Parker's the one that said this, so I'm going to give him credit for it. I said that I didn't think Keith Lawrence was going to play very much unless he changed some things and got more consistent next year. And Parker says this, and I'm going to quote him. <laughs> think about this. A guy that was your starting corner – in 2021, the guy that is probably one of your most talented players on the whole team to this day and was one of your top safeties in 2022 could be third string in 2023 and not see the field. That's how fast they flipped this roster. And they're not done. We even said Peyton Bowen. Damon Harmon. They love Damon Harmon. Like, what? Somebody better, hey, give, give Jay Valai and Brandon Hall their flowers because they flipped that secondary personnel in 12 months like that. That's insane. Then you go to the edge, Parker. What Chavis has done, Ethan Downs, Jonah Laulu, Reggie Grimes, who I think Reggie Grimes and Laulu will be defensive tackles next year, just my opinion. Or at least they should be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and we talked about that in the last podcast. I, I, It's nothing against a kid. I'm just out on Reggie Grimes as a defensive end. I don't <laughs> think that's what he is. Fair enough. I, I don't think that's what he is. I think I he agree. has to move inside. And I agree. And so do a I lot of people in the Switzer Center, by yeah. the way. And that's going to open up a lane for our Mason Thomas to play, that's and where play I was a thinking. lot. And that's what I was getting at. You have our Mason and Ethan Downs probably as your starting defensive ends next year. Eyebrows are lit up because those two guys have a chance to be all Big 12. One of them already is second team all Big 12. And has a chance to be a star. And they think that Ethan Downs, if he could add 10 more pounds and get up to 280, 285, could be a three-tech for him in a really damn good three-tech for him. But I don't think they want him to do that just yet. I think they they feel pretty good about him off the edge because he's the one guy that can chase down somebody at his size. Then you add P.J. Adebore. You have who else is on the edge that I'm not thinking about right now? Help me out here. Is that everybody? 
Marcus Stripling. Marcus Stripling got a fifth year, and then you got Taylor Wine coming in as well. Taylor Wine, yeah, but I I, I think he redshirts. Yeah. I think he will be really good. Linebackers, Parker. I mean, Sawchuck. Oh, Sawchuck, excuse me. Stutzman and Kanick will be your starting linebackers next year. Then you have, oh, I think Aguebu. That's what it was. That's where I was. At. I think Aguebu. You put weight on him. You move him down to your edge. That's and I think if you, so he what? needs to that yeah. uh, much like Reggie Grimes. It just it needs to happen for the team's yeah. good and for the kids good. Yeah, because he can, he's an NFL defensive end in this system, but he's got to he's got to want to do it. I think that's the biggest thing. He didn't want to be a linebacker, and he worked really hard to get down to two thirty five, two forty, right. But he could just as easily be 270. He has the frame for it. He has the athletic ability for it to be a great edge. He just has to do it. Um, but I, I I'm with you on on the the freshman. I think, like you said, Jacoby Johnson, um, Dalen Smothers, Peyton Bowen, Petaway. I think are probably going to be guys that get looks at like kick and punt return. But outside of that, Caden Green, I think Adabari plays as a freshman a lot. Yeah. Um, I think Petaway plays a lot as a freshman, and so does Keon Brown. I think the wide receivers play a lot. I always said Caden Green, um, defensively, I think Derek LeBlanc plays a lot. I think he's probably about 285, 290 as a freshman. Um, because I think he weighs 265 right now and he looks thin at 265 because he's so long, man. The dude's got freaking arms that go down to his ankles. So at the end of the day, I think those are the guys that play quite a bit as freshmen. And then obviously transfers Jacob Lacey. I'm with you. Nine and three, ten and two next year is a good season for them. If they go eight and four, you're okay with that just because of what happened this year. And it's a step in the right direction, but you prefer nine and three, 10 and two competing for big 12 championship, or at least the ability to play for it down the stretch. When you get into November, December, you're competing for that title and you're not just washing away and not it. You're an afterthought. Like you, if you're, as long as you're in the conversation in the last two months of the season, I think you're okay with that, right? Like, I think that's 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 a move in the right direction. And in 2024, you expect them to compete for a national title. I think that's the the organically that's how it should happen, right? Mm-hmm. So I would concur. Anyway, it's a two year two year cycle right now. Yes. Take yeah. take one big step towards championship contention next year, and then come 2024. It's going to be Jackson Arnold's first year, you would presume, SEC. as the full-time starter. You're going to have Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk both entering their junior years. You're going to have a revamped defense. 2024 could be the year that it all comes together in a big way for OU. And it's the first year they're going to be in the SEC. So that's the other thing. Did you hear? Did you see the uh, – there was like multiple recruits that even said that. Did you pick up on that? No, I did the not. Under Armour thing, and they were like, "Yeah, we're going to be in the SEC in 2024." That means they're being told that. 
that means they're being told that means that everybody that all these reports out are fact that the coaches are telling everybody they're in the SEC in 2024 because they're being told that. I think that's interesting. Something to watch. I think I think that's when they go. Do you agree? 2024. Yeah, I would say so. I would say it happens in 2024. First year in the SEC, and I can't freaking wait, dude. I want to go Tuscaloosa. I want to go to Gainesville. I want to go to – I even want to go to Columbia, South Carolina, because I want to go stay in Charleston for a little bit. <laughs> so, so, so. Um, anyways, all right, that's going to do it for this post-game podcast, Team 128. It's over with. It's done for. And we covered it for you guys start to finish, and we plan to do that, Team 129, starting right freaking now. And we can't wait. So I want to thank you guys for joining us on this journey. It's been a blessing. Parker and I can't thank you guys enough for listening to us, for putting up with our antics and my babbling and Parker's um, just staring at me and like an idiot all the time. Um, yeah, it's been fun, folks. Um, we've got We've got stuff coming for you guys in 2023 that will be awesome. So, um, and it will excite you guys. Um, and that's as much as we can talk about it right now, but, um, should be fun. It should be a fun year. Parker should be a fun year. The spring should spring should spring eternal, if you will. Um, when things started changing and, uh, Parker and I will discuss more about that with you guys at that juncture, but, we have big things coming for you guys um, in 2023 that you guys will enjoy and be happy about. Uh, but we can't thank you guys enough. So thank you guys for joining us here and listening to all these post-game podcasts. Uh, we got another uh, recruiting podcast coming up later on in a few days. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff. Uh, before the Under Armour All-American game. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, Oklahoma lost 35-32 to Florida State on Thursday night. Ended up 6-7, and seven, first losing season since 1998. I was 15 years old, and Parker wasn't even a glimmer in his parents' eye yet. So uh, that's how long ago it was. And... Yeah, that that's Brent Venable's first season, but the but the future's bright. I think that's something we can all agree. The future is bright at Oklahoma. Um a lot of talent coming in, a lot of the culture being built properly, and um as much bad as there was this year, there was a lot of good out of everything too. Because I think house cleaning took place and people that didn't need to be a part of the program are not a part of the program anymore. And that's was by design. So um, if you're an Oklahoma fan, don't get used to this because it's not going to be like this for very long. All right. That's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider under the visor Sooners post game podcast. Make sure you sign up for this YouTube. If you haven't subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Um, and if uh, you're not a member of OU Insider, you better hurry up because 50% off ends here really really quick like literally in the next few days and you get paramount plus with it i can say it on here 
I can't say it on social media. I can say it on here. You get Paramount Plus with it. So I would do it if I'm you all. For like 50 bucks, you get like $230 in value. It's worth it. You get OU Insider, all 24-7 sports, and Paramount Plus, Maverick, um, Top Gun Maverick. You get all the 1883, 1923, uh, the offer, all that type of stuff, all on there. Kings of Mayor of Kingstown with Jeremy Renner, like amazing shows, 2,000 movies, uh, hundreds of sitcoms and shows through Viacom, all that on Paramount+. Plus. So sign up, sign up, sign up. We can't thank you guys enough for the fastest growing 24-7 site. And that's because of you all. All right. That's going to do it. We got to head out to a practice. So you guys have a blessed day. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. We will see you guys next year.